0: The Ohio Harness Horseman's Association presents Top of the Stretch, a podcast that looks at harness racing in the Buckeye State. On today's edition of Top of the Stretch, we're speaking with Dr. Dan Wilson, who has practiced veterinary medicine here in the state of Ohio for nearly 50 years. Late serving the horseman racing at MGM Northfield Park. We're going to talk to him today about his life's involvement in racing and other aspects of veterinary medicine. Dan, welcome to the top of the stretch.
1: Well, good morning, Roger. Good to talk to you.
0: Uh, Glad to be with you once again. Um, Let's go back to the very beginning. You were born and raised in Sabina, Ohio, on a farm. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. Um little town halfway between Washington Courthouse and Wilmington, Ohio, also halfway between Columbus and Cincinnati.
0: What kind of farming did your uh, folks do?
1: It was a general farm. We uh, had a little bit of everything, um, but the biggest thing was the dairy cows. And now, we also had those- pigs and horses and sheep and everything, chickens.
0: What got you interested in the profession of veterinary medicine?
1: Actually, I think it was my mother pushing me to do that, you know. I uh, grew up on that farm, and I got all my work ethics and all that from my father, and I intended to follow in his footsteps, and she kept pushing me to go to college and be a veterinarian, and I did.
0: Where did you go to school?
1: Ohio State,
0: one of the best vet schools in in the United States, isn't it?
1: Well, it certainly was in those days, and it's still up there at the top, but well, I was fortunate with the instructors that I had.
0: What year did you graduate?
1: 1975.
0: Now, did you immediately go into a private practice?
1: I did. I um, love Standard Breads, and that's what I wanted to do. And I looked at a job offer with Dr. Tom Duncan over in Chicago, and he was past president of AAP and I just couldn't do that being from a little farm because Chicago was just, you know, concrete asphalt and cars and people. And so I came back to Ohio and I interviewed with another past president of AAP, Dr. Joe Solomon, whose partner, Dr. Ron Genovese. And I started with them, which was a thoroughbred job. And I worked early in the mornings there. And when I finished up, I always went to Northfield and see what kind of trouble I could get in down there.
0: You mentioned two things that uh, I want to get back to in a way. Uh, You said you, you love the standard reds and uh, uh, pacers and trotters. How did that love for racing develop for you?
1: Whew, <laughs> that's a long story, but...
0: <laughs> well, you said you were involved on a farm with pigs and cows and such, but no mention of horses.
1: Oh, we always had horses. My father started off farming with draft horses, but
0: oh.
1: um, he and my mother were friends with Sarah and Earl Richards, who raced horses for a living, and... They had a, uh, a mare that had broken her pasture and, and couldn't race anymore, and they gave her to my father to breed. And he bred her, and we raised a bunch of standardbreds. and he started training them part-time. And that was when I was younger. And I guess what really hooked me was when he took me to the little brown jug and we saw Adios Butler win the little brown jug, and he was kind of a local connection with Fair Chance Farm there. And from there, we got some more horses and bought a few out of Delaware sale. And I just loved jogging them and training them. and wasn't very good at driving them, but he went on from there.
0: You know, you are talking about when you came back to Ohio in your practice, a name that you mentioned that uh, I remember from my earlier days when I got involved in racing, especially at uh, the Meadows in 76, was Dr. Genovese. Uh, Mm -hmm. So many people from the Meadows would ship horses to him to be examined and get his opinion. He was just a tremendous veterinarian. Why isn't he?
1: He is my mentor, my friend, my hero. Um, we made a lot of history together. You know, he was the man all over. And I can tell you a little story that's kind of off the path here a little bit. But he and I were uh, doing field trials on a, a new drug called hyaluronic acid, and, you know, now it's very common, but back then it wasn't. And we got a call from the East Coast um, wanting us to come out and examine and use this new drug on a horse. Well, it it was the DeVay family, and they own Nero, and it was Ariba Ariba that had a sore ankle that they wanted to me to put the acid in, and I uh, have to say that's the first time I was ever I've ever written in a Rolls Royce, and probably never will again. <laughs> oh, but that was quite a story.
0: Yep. Uh, how did the involvement uh, come to fruition with uh, working with so many horsemen at Northfield?
1: Well, I started off at Thistledown, and like I said, I went to Northfield when I was down up there, and eventually I got so many clients that I just couldn't, I either had to go one way or the other, and I went to Northfield because that's what I loved, you know.
0: Veterinary medicine from back in 1975 to the present day has it changed all that much?
1: Oh, yes. Um, It's changed tremendously. Um, I mean, when I first started, we uh, always tried to have the state-of-the-art equipment. I had an endoscope that was a solid metal tube, and you uh, shoved it up their nose and hoped you didn't make them bleed too bad, you know, just to look around. But now we have fiber optics and digital radiography and Um, diagnostic ultrasound that's really put imaging on a new plane. And I'll give Dr. Genovese a little plug here. The um, diagnostic ultrasound was him and Dr. Norman Rantanen were basically the inventors, the founders. They did the early work and now it's commonplace.
0: How do you keep? How does a veterinarian keep up with the changes as far as uh, uh, the limitations on drugs to used on racehorses? Uh, how far out do you must give that stuff? You have to have uh, a vast knowledge of just about everything to keep up to date with the changing rules, don't you?
1: Roger, I don't think it could be done anymore. You know um, the testing of the samples has outgrown common sense now. Um, I don't know if you, the Kentucky Derby, Bob Baffert, um, he, that test is measured in parts per trillion. He had 20, what, two or three parts per trillion. And You know, they've traced it back to them using uh, Otomax on a skin lesion that he had. And to quote Dr. Clara Finger as an environmental contaminant, orally, that horse would have to ingest one four hundredth of a cc to get that level. So how can you as a veterinarian, tell someone how far out to go because this and environmental contaminants are such a real thing anymore that I don't know. I I really don't know.
0: It's not something that's made up by trainers to get them out of a fine. Just so much contamination out there, I guess.
1: Well, it's, it's the levels at which they measure at. I mean, you know, I've seen trainers make up stories all the time, but when you are measuring in parts per trillion, I mean, that's so small that, you know, it's like a grain of sand on the beach that they can find. So sure, a horse licks a stall, eats some straw that another horse urinated on, I mean, Boy, it's, I don't know how you can prevent these things, at uh, testing at that level.
0: Mm-hmm. The new Horseman's Integrity and Safety Act that has been passed by the U.S. Congress, do you have opinions on it?
1: I certainly do. I'm very strongly against it for a lot of reasons. Um One, it eliminates Lasix, and I believe that if you've ever been around horses and saw them bleed, you don't want that to happen. Uh, It shortens so many horses' careers because it scars their lungs. And Lasix has been scientifically proven to reduce the amount of hemorrhage repeatedly. And given four hours, or more, it's not a performance enhancer in any way. So I don't know why they wanna do that, but my opinion is that a rather rich, large group of elite thoroughbred owners would like to see the middle of the road, blue collar racing eliminated from the United States and only have half a dozen racetracks competing at a very high level for thoroughbreds and I think by eliminating this medication and passing on this tremendous cost to the states that they're going to do that if this goes through
0: there have been uh, many suits now uh, uh, to try and uh, make the rule unconstitutional and so it's probably going to be a while a little time down the road before anything's going to be for certain but will all the states go along with this because uh, right now racing commissions are the number one thing Uh, does the racing commission have to follow a federal mandate
1: Roger, I'm certainly not an attorney, but I believe there's some language in there somewhere where they can opt out of it if they wish to.
0: With the Lasix, as you mentioned, one thing, uh, it is used a a tremendous amount. I don't have the figures of how many horses or percentage uh, race on Lasix, but I know it's it's a, a large number. The thoroughbreds racing, Once in every four to six weeks, uh, the need for Lasix is not as great as it is for harness racing, where horses will race every seven to ten days.
1: That's true, but there's still a big need in the thoroughbred racing, especially uh, Mm -hmm. on the claiming ranks in the middle of the road horses. Um, Mm -hmm. Usually what happens with a horse And their career being shortened as they get scar tissue in their lungs and they may go from the top eventually down to the bottom
0: is there one thing in your career that stands out above everything that you're most proud of
1: (laughs) boy there's so many you know and i've been very fortunate to get several awards and I've served on boards and committees and all those things. But I don't know, um, it's hard to say. I recently, well, not recently, but a couple of years ago, decided that I needed to give back something to these horses that had given me so much. And I bought a gray standard bread for my wife as a riding horse basically because he and I had many disagreements and we came to terms with one another and he was so smart and so good looking that I decided I had to save him because he was starting to get a suspensory behind and I laid him up for a while and then the trainer said it wasn't worth going on with him and I purchased him and my wife rides him today and I think I'm kind of proud of that, that I at least could save one of them, you know.
0: With all the free time that you're going to have now on a regular practice, what are you going to do with all that time available?
1: Well, Roger, so far I've worked in my yard for a solid month and finally got it looking like I want to. Then I have 40 years of junk around here that I need to clean out. And then I've always hunted and fished all my life. And every year, whether it be in Manitoba or South Dakota, we, a bunch of veterinarians and my sons go out and hunt every year, so I'll stay busy.
0: Thank you for listening to Top of the Stretch. Top of the Stretch podcasts are a presentation of the Ohio Harness Horseman's Association.